This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. You guys ready to study God's Word together this morning? Really? Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. I'm not sure that you recognize this or not, but the changing of the calendar year after year is a great grace gift of God. Because what God has done for us on earth is He's given us these things called calendars. And on these calendars, there is... There is a host of different dates, holidays, where we commemorate certain things, we remember certain things, or we celebrate certain things. The changing of seasons, religious holidays, even secular holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, all of these dates serve as points of commemoration, reflection, and introspection. And of those changing of seasons and dates, perhaps one of the most seminal ones God has gifted us with is the turning of the calendar to a new year. And it's such an opportunity. It's an opportunity to reflect upon areas of great growth and also of great need for further growth. As followers of Jesus this morning, who among us would not recognize the need for further growth in consuming God's word? I mean, really, who who among us would not say, I need to grow in regularly reading, studying, meditating on and memorizing more of the Bible? I think about my own life, and and at the end of every year, I start processing what I'm going to read the next year in the Bible. I'm gonna I process through what reading plan I'm going to take, and um, perhaps there are specific areas of the Bible I would like to study more, things that I've been neglecting to read more. And so I take stock of my own life and thinking about where was I faithful this past year or these past few months? Where do I need to be more faithful? Where, where can I adjust my calendar? Where do I need to not be so rote or rudimentary in reading the word? How can I journal more? How can I reflect more? How, who could I read with to, to help enliven my reading of God's word? I go through that process, not just as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus, as, as a disciple of Jesus. And I hope that, that you go through something similar. And if not, perhaps that today's message would cause you to do something like that as you enter into this new year. Now, I've been taught, just like many of you, I've been taught my entire Christian life that I should be devoted to God's Word, that I should discipline myself to read and to, to meditate on, to study, to memorize the Bible through regular discipline. But if you're anything like me, you ask the question, why? But why? 
I mean, why do pastors, disciples, and teachers, why do we talk about this all the time? Why is it such an expectation? What's the big deal? Well, this morning, what I want to do from the text, and also through some personal anecdotes, is I want to help explain the why of the word. I want to help push you towards a more focused discipline of the word. I want to push you towards being more devoted to God's word in your personal life because as you are more disciplined and devoted to God's word in your personal life, we as a church will be more disciplined and devoted to God's word as a church. And to do that, we're going to look at Psalm 119 today. Now, not all of Psalm 119. If you're unfamiliar with the text of Scripture, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. Not only is it the longest psalm, it is the longest chapter of Scripture in the Bible coming in at a very lengthy 176 verses long. And so this morning we are not going to study it verse by verse. It may surprise you to know that there are several books of Scripture that are shorter than Psalm 119. And in this psalm, what the psalmist is going to do is paint a beautiful spiritual and poetic word picture of his devotion to God's word. Now, academically, this psalm is what is known as an alphabetic acrostic psalm, consisting of 22 stanzas, eight verses each, with each stanza beginning with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And through these 176 verses, what the psalmist is going to do is he's going to use seven different words or synonyms for the Bible or God's law or God's written revelation to us as humanity. These seven synonyms are law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules, and words. There are 178 different uses of one of those synonyms in 176 verses of Scripture. And so to state the obvious, there's a theme. Psalm 119 is all about a devotion to God's Word. Now what I'm going to do today is something a little bit different than what I normally do in teaching through an outline of Scripture from the Bible. Rather than simply giving you truths, truth points from the scriptures, which I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this in the form of prayers. Because I believe that if you are going to be devoted to God's word, if I'm going to be devoted to God's word, it really starts with a heart that is bent towards prayer and praying to God to give you a heart, to give me a heart that would be devoted to God's word. And so in these truth points, points of truth, in the form of prayers, let us see this also as understanding the why of why we should consume ourselves with discipline in God's word. Are you with me? You ready to do this? All right. Then here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to see these six points as points of prayer for our lives today, next week, this year, and for our lives. So, Father, as the psalmist, may I be more devoted to your word first because I want to know you more deeply. 
Father, I want to know you more deeply. Just read the first few verses here. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, but also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Let's just stop there. Look at the modifier for all of these synonyms for God's word. As you make your way through these 176 verses, in the 178 instances that you see one of these seven synonyms, it is always going to be personified by the words your, his, or of the Lord. Meaning that this is God's word. These are not just simply thoughts of God from man about God. No, this is God's word. It's God's revelation of himself, meaning that when we consume it, when we read it, and if you're going to be devoted to the word, you're in essence also praying towards being devoted to him because his word is the means by which you know him. Let me just show you a couple of places here. Verse seven, he says, I will praise you with an upright heart. Worship, right? I will praise you with an upright heart, comma, when I learn your righteous rules. So you see, there's a connection of knowing the word and your worship. You cannot divorce your musical worship, your singing, your praising from a devotion to God's word. Verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts and what? I will meditate on your wondrous works. And so you see, the word teaches us, instructs us in what God has done. But then in verse 68, the scripture says, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. So the word not only teaches you what God has done, the word also shows you who he is. John Piper says the spiritual hearing of God's word becomes the spiritual seeing of God's glory. I mean, what Christian in this place today would not say, I want to see the glory of God? The word of God unveils a part of that glory to you as you hear about what he's done and you see who he is as the scriptures reveal him. You see, there's a lot of talk among Christian circles. There's a lot of talk, actually, among people at large about how we can know God or where we see God. Perhaps you've heard people say things, well, I see God in nature, or I see God in the face of my newborn child, or I see God in the generosity of people serving those who are in need. Now, are those displays of the goodness of God and the greatness of God? Absolutely they are. The Bible itself says that the heavens are telling of the glory of God. But you see, the the painted sunset can let you know that there is a God. The roar of the seas can point you towards the fact that there's a creator behind it. But you'll never truly deeply know God and his character and his ways and who he is through what God has done or what God has made. We need his word to know him personally. 
Piper goes on to give a great visual of all the different ways in which means through which we can know God. He, he says all of these means orbit around the sun of God's word, his written word. And if the central gravitational power of the sun is denied, all the planets fly into confusion. This is why we devote ourselves to God's word. It's why we should pray this morning, Father, I want to be more devoted to your word because I want to know you more deeply. And in this prayer, we should see a caution. If you have a faith in God, a relationship with God, devoid of a devotion to his word. Friend, you are in jeopardy of having a faith in no God at all. Because you are inventing and painting a picture of God of your own mind, of your own making, and therefore you end up worshiping the God of your design, the God who doesn't actually exist. How do you know of Him? How do you know what He's like? How do you know what He cares about? How do you care what He dislikes? It's through the written revelation that He has given to you and me through His Word. And so when you devote yourself to God's Word, you will be taught and instructed in the character and ways of God. And so let your prayer be, God, may I be more devoted to your Word because I want to know you more deeply. Number two, Father, I want to be more devoted to your Word because I want to long for you more joyfully. I want to long for you more joyfully. Knowing about God is not an end in and of itself. Knowing God is not simply an end in and of itself. We want to know God so that we would be joyful in God. We want to know God so that we might delight in God. Donald Whitney says this in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He says, discipline... Without direction is drudgery. Discipline without direction is drudgery. You don't even need something spiritual to teach you this. Think about the gym. I mean, without an overriding goal to which you are working towards, after week one or two, waking up that extra hour or two becomes great pain and drudgery to your life. Discipline without direction is drudgery. If reading the Bible isn't in and of itself, you will, you will tire from it very quickly. But if you understand the goal, the goal is your joy. The goal is that you would delight in God. That you would take delight in Him. The psalmist got this right. In Psalm 119, you look at verse 14. He says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight and he doesn't just say, I delight. He says, I delight as much as in all riches. About 12 more times in this psalm, he is going to say, he's going to unite the word delight with study or knowing God's word. In verse 20, he says, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. And in verse 97, he says, oh, how I love your law. 
Has there ever been a point in time in your life when you have been reading God's word and you just exclaimed, oh God, I love your word. The psalmist did. In verse 111, he says that the word of God is the joy of his heart. And in what might be one of the best verses, I mean, how do you pick the best verse in Psalm 119? But one Verse 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Like the baby bird sits in the nest with his beak open waiting for mama bird to fill his tummy. The psalmist says, I open my mouth and I pant for your word. See, the psalmist knew what the patriarchs had already written in Deuteronomy, and Jesus repeated in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, that man shall not live on bread or meat or physical food alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, Father, may I, may we be more devoted to your word because we want to long for you more joyfully like the psalmist did. Thirdly, Father, may we be more devoted to your word because we want to follow you more obediently. We want to follow you more obediently. God is our Father, but He's also our Master and Lord. And it's in the Word of God that we understand what He loves and what He hates. And the picture that we get from the Scriptures is that As we learn what God loves and we learn what God hates, we as his followers are to do that which he loves and to abstain from that which he hates. You get this picture as you read through Psalm 119. Pick up in verse 2 with me. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk In his ways. That word walk there, even though this is in the Old Testament, it has a participial uh, uh, power behind it. Meaning that this is the overarching pattern, disposition, regular type of living of my life. That I walk regularly in his ways. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, but it means that I align my life to pattern after him. Verse 4, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. There are Christians who will say things like, God is not about following rules. It's about pursuing a relationship. And that is true. Partially. Christianity is not about following rules and that you just simply follow rules in order to attain salvation. You submit yourself under the lordship of Jesus, repent of your sin, receive his grace, and he makes you right and you are saved by a work of his grace and his work. But that does not nullify the fact that God commands us to obey him. 
And the picture that we get from Psalm 119, just from reading those first eight verses, is that his rules, his commands are to be followed and to be kept diligently. And we don't keep them and obey them in order to obtain Jesus Christ. We keep them and obey them because we have been obtained by Jesus Christ. It is a mark of our sonship. It is a mark of our daughtership. And as we read, as we study, as we meditate, as we memorize, we learn more of what his commands are. I love walking alongside a new believer. You will get more joy in your Christian life from walking alongside a new believer than many other Christian practices all put together. And one of my favorite aspects of walking alongside of a new believer is giving them an assignment in God's word to read and have them come back. And sometimes of their own volition just saying, man, I had no idea that the Bible even talked about gossip and that I shouldn't do that. And he's been showing me ways in my life that I do that. Hey, and I was reading the other day that, that, that God commands us to sing. I never thought about that before. I thought it was just something that Christians did. It actually commands me to sing. I love watching just the joy, the illumination of the scriptures come to a new believer and to find a new statute, a new command that God expects them to follow and then watch them reorder their steps in order to follow God. This is one of the reasons why we consume ourselves with God's word is because we tend to forget things that we thought we knew or we uncover things that we've never heard even after being a Christian for 40 or 50 years. God, Father, May I, may we be more devoted to your word because we want to follow you more obediently. Fourth, Father, may we be more obedient, more devoted to your word because we want to fight sin more vigorously. We want to fight sin more vigorously. Now, I'm not sure how all of this happens because I'm not God and I have not designed the human spirit I have not created this world. I'm not God. Aren't we thankful for that? Yes, we are. If you're not, I am. So I don't know how all of this happens. But there is a connection between your consumption of God's word and your ability to fight sin vigorously. There's a connection there. In God's spiritual laboratory, there is a spiritual physic, a spiritual equation that takes place that as I intake God's word, I have a greater ability to fight sin vigorously in my life. Do you not believe me? Let's see it in the scriptures. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I love this. I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? Just so that I can say I've had a spiritual experience. Just so that I can say, man, I was really fed at church this morning. No, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
He goes on to say in, in verse 104, through your precepts, I get understanding, therefore, I hate every false way. In verse 133, he, he prays, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. You see, for this psalmist, he saw a direct connection between his devotion to God's word and his ability to abstain from sin's temptation. Could it be that you are continually given over to sin's temptation because you are devoid of a devotion to God's word? It could just simply be because what you are doing, it's because you don't even know that it's wrong. You don't even know that what you're doing is a violation of God's command because you've never heard it, you've never read it. It could be because you're fighting a battle without the weapon God has given to you. And I want to be very clear today. God has never commanded us as Christians to take our arms and violently attack any person, any human flesh. But he has commissioned us and written into the code of the fabric of our life in Christ a declaration of war against sin. And it's temptation and all the many vices that your sin nature and the enemy would throw at you. And for this spiritual warfare, he has given you a weapon to use. In Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about the spiritual battle that we are fighting against sin and against the, uh, against the, the enemy, Satan. And he talks about all the different uh, things that we have in our arsenal. And most of them are defensive in nature. Protection. But there's one weapon of offense, and it's the word of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is your weapon for the fight against sin. It's to know, meditate on, cherish, and internalize the word of God, to then be wielded as a weapon against sin in your life. Why is it that we're even tempted to sin? We're tempted to sin because sin makes us promises, right? Sin promises that this will satisfy me. Sin promises me that this will make me feel good in a way that other things will not make me feel. Sin promises you reward but leaves you with regret. So how do we fight those promises? Well, Jonathan Edwards says that we will fight with them their own weapons. I love it. Edwards says, now then, we will fight with them their own weapons. Sin makes promises, that's great. God has better ones. Sin makes promises to us, then what we will do is we will answer sin's promises with God's promises. And his promises are better. His promises are reward. They are richness to our soul. Just as Thor has his hammer, and Steve Rogers has his shield, and Iron Man has his suit, the disciple of Christ has God's word to fight against our enemy, which is sin. 
And just as our favorite heroes from Marvel Cinematic Universe are impotent and vulnerable without their famed weapons, so we as disciples are powerless and weak in the face of sin's temptation without God's word. So, let's pray, God, I want to be more devoted to your word because I want to fight sin more vigorously in my life. Five, because I want to hope in you more resolutely. Father, may I be more devoted to your word because I want to hope in you more resolutely. Now, if you have been a Christ follower for any length of time, as a matter of fact, if you've been a human being living on this earthly sod for any length of time, then you must be acquainted with hurt or with doubt. And obviously, we have struggled with sin. We've struggled with the sin of our own hearts and lives, but we've also felt the hurt and the pain inflicted upon us because of the hurt and sin in other people's lives. As a matter of fact, we experience the effects of sin in a fallen world, what, what I would call the, the hurtful D's. Death, disappointment, depression, disease, danger. And the list goes on and on, right? Let me ask you a question. In a world where all of those D's happen regularly, how in the world are you supposed to make it 82.4 years until you see the face of Jesus Christ and be faithful and be hope-filled in a world that is so discouraging and despondent and very much regrettable? How? How can you do it? How can I do it? Well, the psalmist makes it clear that it's the promises of hope that we find in God's word. Let me just show you a couple of these. It's, it's laced all the way through, but let me just show you a couple of them. Verse 43. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. Why? For my hope is in your rules. My hope is found here in God's word. Friend, you're looking for hope. And some of you are looking in a relationship. Some of you are looking for it in marriage. Some of you are looking for it in the face of a newborn child. Some of you are looking for it in a career, a vocation, recreation, the internet. The psalmist says that my hope is found in your word. Look on down to verse 49. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Anyone ever been an experience in our lives where God literally had to make us hope in his word? We've exhausted every other resource. We've exhausted every other human being. And then we see it in his word and he forces us to hope in his truth. Verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. And you go over to verse 71, and this is not popular. This one is not exactly popular to hear, but it's good for our souls. He says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? 
that I might learn your statutes. This is an upside down way of living. This is upside down. This is not normative. This is not normal for us as human beings to to think or to say, it is good that I experience pain. It is good that I experience death, disappointment, depression, disease, danger. It's good that I experience that. Why? Because I learned your statutes. And I learned to hope in you, friend. If life was always peachy cream all the time, how in the world would you ever learn hope? How in the world would you ever know your God as your deliverer, as your source of strength, as your refuge, as the one who fights in your stead? The psalmist says it was good. Why? Because I learned more about God. This is what we do when we, when we read God's word. When I'm lonely... I'm reminded in Hebrews 13, 5, that it's God who will never leave me nor forsake me. When I'm economically challenged or broke, Matthew 6 reminds me that if God clothes the grass of the field and he feeds the birds of the air, how much more will he supply my needs, his child? My boyfriend, my girlfriend break up with me, leave me. I'm reminded in John 4, 14 that Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I give, he will never be thirsty again. You're picked on because you're a Christian. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. I read that in John 15 and in 2 Timothy 3.12. I'm reminded that everyone who decides to follow Jesus Christ will be persecuted. I'm depressed. I'm downcast. The same psalmist in Psalm 42.5 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, hope in God? For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Brothers and sisters, I want to be careful with this. But by and large, by and large, for the most part, if you show me a Christian walking in perpetual hopelessness and despair, he or she is probably a Christian with a surface level or little to no devotion to God's word. Because it is very difficult to walk in perpetual hopelessness despair in this world when the word of God is constantly saturating your heart and soul. I'm not telling you that you will never feel that way. I'm not telling you that you will never struggle with depression or despondency. I'm just saying that it's very difficult to walk in that perpetually with no hope while hearing constantly the word of God. Because even in our deepest pits, In our deepest despair, the word of God points us upward to be reminded of eternal hope. The word propels and fuels us and our devotion to God, and it propels and fuels our hope in God. Lastly, a last prayer that I believe this psalmist teaches us as we pray to have a more focused devotion of God's word is, Father, may I be more devoted to your word Because I want to witness to others more compassionately. I want to witness to others more compassionately. Along the same lines of hoping in God. I see a couple of places here. I see a a, a witness to those who believe. And a posture of witnessing towards those who don't believe. In verse 74, to those who believe. 
He says, those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Do you see the domino effect? Do you see the disciple-making aspect of this? That when the body of Christ, when someone in the body of Christ is in hopelessness or in despair, in despondency, in affliction in his or her life, God has designed us as a body that we would look at others who have been devoted to God's word and found hope and joy and delight in the midst of great struggle and pain. And God has designed it so that when I am in my pain or I'm in my despondency and struggle, I would look at my brother, I would look at my sister, and they, their testimony of hoping in God's word would cause me to then also hope in God's word. There's this domino effect, disciple-making aspect of this. But I also want you to see the posture that this psalmist demonstrates to us about those who are outside the faith, who are outside the church. I talked last week about how oftentimes we as Christians see the lost as our enemy. They're, they're the people that we need to defeat. And we almost see them as people that we need to take up arms against in order to win a war. But I shared last week about how we should see them as sheep without a shepherd. And if they're going to know God's word, how are they going to know it unless people like you and I take the word to them and teach them, right? Look at the posture of the psalmist. Look with me at verse 134 and following. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The psalmist says that the lost are not objects of our derision or our opponents that we somehow need to go defeat, but they, he instead shows the lost as objects of our mercy objects of our compassion, that we should be moved to compassion, moved to mercy over those who don't follow God's law. And this is where we identify with our Savior and our Master, Jesus, because Jesus demonstrated this perfectly. Because in Luke 19, verse 41, Jesus goes up on the hillside and he looks out over Jerusalem and he sees them in their lostness and he sees them in their unbelief and the scriptures tell us that Jesus wept over the lostness and the unbelief of Jerusalem and so friend when we weep over those in our sphere who don't believe those who walk in obedience to God's word we will identify with and emulate our savior Jesus when we also weep over them who do not follow Christ. So those are the prayers that I want to push you towards praying today. If you are weak in your devotion to God's word, if you are very lackadaisical in your discipline, I want to encourage you to pray these six prayers, not just today, not just this week, but in a regular pattern of your life that you may cultivate a deeper devotion to God's word, so that these six realities may be true in your life. Now, I want to close out for a few moments 
and talk about some next steps. And I want to be real practical with you as we end our time today. And prayerfully that these practical next steps would set some of you on a right path of pursuing God's word through disciplined devotion in your life. Before we get there, let me just share a little personal anecdote from my life. I became a Christian when I was 14, and I heard a lot of the same things that I shared today, at least in part. But it was never until I got to college that I truly understood what it meant to be disciplined to God's word. I had never been disciplined to God's word, really for more than a few weeks at a time. And I would go on and, and as if the, if the word didn't even exist between Sunday and Sunday. I literally only got it on Sunday mornings. And I got to college and I got attached to a biblically sound gospel-centered campus ministry and church where mentors and campus ministers invested in me, walked alongside of me, put me in community with other guys who were also studying God's word. And for the first time in my life, I started reading God's word, studying God's word, and memorizing God's word regularly in my life. And that was at 18 years old. In less than a month, I'm going to turn 41. And for the last 23 years... I have been regularly disciplined to God's Word. Not perfectly disciplined. Oh, I have missed many days in God's Word over those 23 years. I missed days this past year. But the regular pattern of my life has been to, through discipline, read regularly God's Word. And what has happened over the course of decades is great maturation and increased faith in my life. This is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about investing my life in the next generation. Because it was when I was 18 and I entered college that someone invested in me and gave me a picture of what pursuing Jesus could look like. What I want to do is I want to give you, I only have only, only so much time. I want to give you four practical steps to take that have personified my life over the last 23 years in helping me be more devoted to God's word. And I can only pray and hope that they help you also be more devoted and disciplined in God's word. Number one, make a plan. Make a plan. Here's one of the biggest things I've learned. When I do not have a plan to follow in reading God's word, I am much more lazy and much more lackadaisical and noncommittal in my pursuit of God's word. I need a reading plan. I need a reading plan. I need a plan to tell me on what day to read what scriptures. And what I have found is that when I follow a plan, even if I don't follow that plan perfectly, I am far more disciplined and devoted to God's word. And so what I would encourage you to do today is to find a plan. This week we posted on our social media platforms some articles linking you to some great Bible reading plans. There are some great ones out there. On our website, there is a plan that I, I've written uh, to help you read the New Testament in a more repetitive nature. And, and I think it could be very beneficial in, in your walk with Jesus. But there are numerous plans out there. There are plans that literally take you through 365 readings in a year. There are some that will take you through 20 or 25 in a month. 
to build you in some grace days in case you miss a day or two here and there. <clears throat> there are plans that will take you chronologically through the Bible, topically through the Bible, a combination of Old Testament and New Testaments. But I want to encourage you to find a plan and make that plan. And once you have found the plan, then set aside a specific place and time where you're going to read that regularly in your life and just write it into your calendar and schedule it. Make a plan. Number two, begin to pray. Begin to pray. What I hope I have shown you through today's sermon is that we do not read Scripture divorced from prayer. Praying fuels my reading of God's Word. Number one, I need to pray the things that we've looked at today so that I have a heart that is bent towards reading the Scriptures. But even another practical thing in my own Scripture reading time, when I open God's Word, most of the time, I do not read the scriptures without first praying something like this. Father, I am weak, I am frail, and I'm distracted. And so, Lord, as I read today, would you help me stay focused? Would you help me understand what I can't understand? Would you help me see what I can't see and hear what I can't hear on my own so that I may know you, know myself, and through Jesus Christ, have those two brought in reconciliation. Something along those lines. Praying, readying my heart for the consumption of God's word. Begin to pray. Number three, enlist a partner. Enlist a partner. Guys, find another guy or two. Ladies, find another lady or two who might read the same plan that you're reading. And it doesn't mean that you get together every single day to read the scriptures together. It just simply means that you know that the two or three of you are reading the exact same reading plan. And this way, whenever you do see each other, you can ask each other, hey, how's the reading going? Hey, what did God teach you this week through reading? Or you could send text message reminders. Hey, I want you to know that I was reading Genesis 6 through 8 today. Man, it was awesome. Have you read it yet? There's a little bit of layer of accountability there. I have also found that in my 23 years of being devoted to God's word regularly, when I am reading a plan with another brother or with some other brothers, I am empowered in my own reading of God's word. Enlist a partner. And then fourthly, commit to persevere. Commit to persevere. The question is not if you're going to miss a day. The reality is you're going to miss a day. You're going to miss some days. There are going to be some intense moments in life where you may miss days or even a week. And you feel like you've just gotten so far behind and there's no catching up. And what the enemy wants to happen there is for you to get so downtrodden and despondent because you don't have perfect attendance in the master's classroom. And you don't read the Bible as much as the pastor does or the elder does or whoever you think the all-star Christian is in Mill City Church. And the enemy wants to tempt you to think you'll never measure up. You'll never get this. You're not good enough. You're just the person who can never be devoted to God's word. It's a lie. Don't believe it. Every one of us is going to be devoted to God's word in an imperfect way. Every one of us is going to get behind. Every one of us is going to miss a day here or there. 
Every one of us is going to have a hard week or a hard season. But here's what you do. you got to persevere. You persevere. And if you just got to skip a section and move ahead where you're back on track and get back on your plan, just get back on your plan and keep moving forward. That's how you become more devoted to God's word. Not through perfection, but through perseverance. Through perseverance. Brothers and sisters, there are so many times when I'm talking to a church member or student on campus and they look at me and they will say something along the lines of, man, you just know the Bible. I just wish I knew the Bible the way you know the Bible. Let me tell you, there are so many things I don't know about God's word. There are times when people ask me a question and I'm stumped on it and I will say, let me go do some research on that and I'll get back to you. But in whatever ways I do know the word, in whatever ways it does roll off my tongue, it wasn't done in a microwave. It wasn't done on Twitter or Instagram over the weekend. It wasn't done by reading 140 characters or less. It was done over 23 years of persevering through spiritual highs and spiritual valleys and persevering and just keep coming back no matter what. Friend, that's what I want for you too. That's what I want for you too. The psalmist gives us a great picture today. I hope you learned a lot today. I hope you've been challenged a lot today. But more importantly, I pray that the Holy Spirit would now come inside your heart and change you with a greater devotion to God's word in 2019 so that we as a church may have a greater devotion corporately. Father, I pray for my people today. Father, I pray that we would love you more devotedly, that we would obey you more faithfully, that we would have greater compassion and mercy towards those who don't know you. Father, I pray that we would delight more in you. Father, I pray today that you would take your word and now perform your work in those of us who believe. And then commission us out of this place to go and tell someone else about the great God and gospel in whom we believe. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.